Hey everyone, we are back for another exciting rehearsal this week. And since it's Bandtober, we thought we would talk to some super important people out there in the competitive band world, the judges. We will find out what made Tom say. Um, you know, I want to celebrate that all my drum heads came in this week at Templeton. You don't understand how big of an issue that is, but... Uh... And why Steven said... At, at 15, they're operating a nonprofit. At 15, I was operating like an Xbox 360 controller in, in my mom's basement. <laughs> All this and more. So get out on the field and we will see you back on the sidelines for this week's episode of On a Water Break. Let's go. Set it up. Top of the show. Form. Check form. Cover down. Do it again. Run it back. And we'll see you at the show. Welcome to another episode of On a Water Break, the podcast where we talk about everything you and your friends are talking about at rehearsal on a water break. I'm Jackie Brown. We are deep into the competitive season and some of the most important people in this process are those sitting up in the press box writing down numbers and evaluations of the show that you designed, teched, or are currently starring in. We have put together a fun little panel to discuss all of the questions that you have. But first, let's see who's on the sidelines this week. Hey, Steven. Hey, Jackie. It's been a while. It has been a while. I feel like I haven't talked to you in like a month. <laughs> I know. I've been I've been busy. I've, I've... It's all that band's over. Right? <laughs> yeah. You're famous or something. No, I don't think I would describe myself that way. But <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm I'm staying busy. It's Bantober, Tom. And Tom, yes, hey. Hey, hey, it is Bantober. And we're like just getting into the thick of it here in California. And I gotta say it's been pretty nice here. <laughs> so you guys aren't on like Pacific calendar like i know you have like pacific time and we're on like eastern time like you don't have like pacific calendar also where you're like running a week behind everybody i'm just kidding <laughs> um kind of though it is i mean when i used to teach on the east coast band starts in september the competitions they oh. don't start till october out here mm. for the most part it's probably because it's so nice all the time as you love to remind us you can do band later it into is. the you year know, we, we, we get that awesome Indian summer right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also have someone who we all know and love, but who's experiencing some firsts this year as a first year judge. Please welcome Paul Simondak. Hey, Jackie. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. Welcome to I the know, show. Newly minted judge. You could say I've been judging my whole life. You know, as color guard people are, but in a professional setting, I've I'm learning as we go, and I'm really excited for um, this fall season and some opportunities that I have. So you're learning about the differences between being a judge and being judgy, is what you're saying? Oh yes, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Well, we are just jam-packed with guest clinicians this week. Um, a recently retired director of bands from Wheeler High School in Marietta, Georgia, is joining us. This is Mark Hoskins. Hi, Mark. Hi, folks. Hi, how are you? 
Uh, I like the crowd noise, though. It's awesome. And Tom, I heard you brought us a guest today, too. Yeah, I did. Uh, someone I think is pretty fantastic in my, you know, in my head. Mr. Dan Smith. Well, Thanks, nice Tom. to see you. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on the show. So a uh, quick way that we always introduce all of our new guests, a way that we get to catch up on everything you've been up to uh, until our show today is something we call our 32, <laughs> yes, <laughs> your 32 count life story. So it gives you about 30 seconds to catch us up to speed, tell us everything that uh, you think is important about, about you. Mark, would you want to get us uh, started here? Sure, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the baton. Um, <laughs> Mark Hoskins, I originate from... Oh, hold up, <laughs> uh, hold up. I'm going to give you eight and in, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we got to wait for the Met, man. Close. That's right, I forgot about the Met. Eight and go. All right, my name is Mark Hoskins. I originate from Big Stone Gap, Virginia, a little small town in the uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia area, that tow. Uh, went to ETSU. East Tennessee State University, graduated from there. Uh, I was a nomad for a while until uh, my mentor, the late Gary Markham, found me uh, years ago and offered me a job, and I did 25 years in Cobb County, Georgia. I just retired and uh, just did uh, DCI Grand I mean, DCI World Championships this fall, I mean, this summer. All wow. tongue-tied there. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, when you say you did DCI World Championships this summer, uh, were you taking a trip up or were you involved in some other way? No, uh, I was. I actually judged finals night on Saturday. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming well, hopping on that's our got show. A whole lot of, right, that's got a whole lot of questions right there. But first, what caption was it? Uh, I did field brass. Field brass, cool. Wow. Was, well, we're going to come was, back and, and return to that surely, Mark. It was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a pleasure. It was quite before, before we get back to talking about that, uh, Dan, I'm uh, super excited to meet you as well. Um, would you be ready to give us your 32 count life story? Uh, we'll use a time compression here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do our best with it. <laughs> hey, you'll get eight off the mint. Okay, I've got the cue. Uh, I'm actually from a little town south of uh, San Francisco, a town called Santa Clara. Grew up there. Mm. Uh, they started a drum corps there, and I joined that drum corps. It was while I was marching that I started judge training. So this would have been 1967. Judged my first gig in 69. Uh, taught Santa Clara, went on to... Uh, Spent a few years in the Air Force, got out and started a new school in San Jose called Independence High School. Uh, within four years, we were um, what was NBA back then. We were the NBA champions. Um, did a lot of other things. I judged DCI finals a number of times. The year we went to Miami, I actually judged prelims on ensemble brass, turned right around and did finals on visual analysis. Um, I, in fact, I'm on weekend number six this um, this fall for marching bands, <laughs> even though it's weekend number one for the Western Band Association. <laughs> and on and on, and I'm out of time. But uh, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. 
Yeah. I remember them. Yeah. I remember you. I, I was so excited when you, yeah, I saw your name on the finals panel. I said, yeah. Awesome. You know, I'm pretty sure all of us here have somehow been judged in a caption by Dan at some point <laughs> yeah. in our lives. Every, yeah. every time we do an alumni thing, it's, I know more of the fellow alums from having judged them or having taught them at some point in time, uh, though there are still a number of Seneca alums around that I actually marched with. That's amazing. Wow. We have got Very such good. a wide range of experience in this group tonight. Uh, so let's get started on our topic. So we're talking about judging. We have Paul here who literally, you said you just judged your first contest last weekend. Is that right? Not this past weekend, but the weekend before that, but still fresh. Still so fresh. You're still super about fresh it. off of it. So, so what was that like? So, so, you know, what was your experience? What were you expecting and not expecting? You know, what's some of the stuff there? The whole process is kind of scary because, you know, as a performer, I'm thinking about, or even as an instructor too, I'm thinking about the warm up sort of circuit of going to a show. When you're a judge, you're, that's not at all what your experience is like. You have that first meeting with, you know, probably the host of the school, and then they're like, here's your tablet, or here's how you log in, ready, set, go. And then you're in the box, and then you start. Um, so, being kind of thrown into that, like there's no warm up. You just kind of ready, set, go. Right. And it's a lot of fun getting to meet other judges. You know, I was with, um, I think his name is Dan Kalinas. I forget. But yeah, um, it's just very nerve wracking, especially trying to put down numbers and not knowing if I'm doing. I remember asking him right before we started, like maybe 30 seconds, the band is going on. And I went to the other judge. I was like, um, I don't know what to do regarding like the numbers. And he's like, Paul, just like, calm down, <laughs> rank them first, <laughs> think about scores later. And then so long as you rank them properly, you can, you won't box yourself in. And I'm sure like, you're not just put here just because like you have a sort of sense of how to do it. So very nerve wracking, but a lot of fun. Cause you know, I love band. I love watching it and listening to the music. Um, but yeah, very fun process. So were they giving you time with all of your sheets from each class as you went so that you could like go? Cause I know sometimes at contests you like write a sheet down and then they run off with it and you don't have time to change anything on it. Yeah. So for them, when I, I took this one course in WGI certified before it, you know, disappeared. Uh -huh. Um, and I knew about like how scores worked and boxes and whatnot, but then the host was like, oh, yeah, submit your scores after like four groups. And that was freaking me out. I was like, I'm afraid to submit any of this because I needed time. You know, the, I, like maybe I need to adjust them or, you know, a group performs last and then they're supposed to be somewhere in the middle. And then I'm like, oh, well, I need to add 0.5 so that they squeeze in between these two bands from what I can understand. And so that's like really nerve wracking because I've just never done it before. Like I, I did practice before for two or three weeks watching old shows. I watched two BOA contests and I was guessing. And then I used an Excel sheet. I compared my guesses to the judges um, for the caption I was doing. I was doing Visual GE. And I was like, oh, I put this band in 10th when they should have been in third. Like I was freaking out. But um, 
during the contest, <laughs> thankfully, a lot of my scores aligned with the other judges. <laughs> so I was like, it's a different, you know, live and on video, that's, you know, two different things to try to judge something. So, you know. Do you guys have any uh, memories from your first experience or some advice for Paul, maybe? Something that might help him out, especially our, our guest clinicians here. <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Uh, I remember my very first DCI judging assignment. Uh, I, I clinic or trial judge for two shows in 2012. And I remember the very first uh, core I had, it was the Cincinnati tradition. And uh, we were in Lexington, Kentucky. And I just remember being very, very animated and very, very hyper uh, and <laughs> and trying to say everything I could and trying to make sure I did this and that, this and that. And I remember that night when we were done on the way back to all the way from Lexington back to Marietta, feeling very odd because it, it didn't seem natural, it didn't seem organic. And I think Dan can talk about that as well. And and I I got to my second show and I still have those vi those those recordings, by the way. I still oh listen to God. those. <laughs> I have every recording of every show I've ever done. So I hate listening to my voice. But same, same. the thing is, uh -huh. after that first show and going through my head what I was saying, it didn't matter what it was. And my my numbers didn't matter either. But my evaluators, my my judge liaisons listened and they told me what was worthy or what was quality and what was not. And, and and the more that you go through this, the more that the content specific things come into play. So, you know, just jump in. You, you, you've already jumped in and did your first show. And obviously you, you came out unscathed. You, you're not bleeding, you know, no broken bones. But, you know, you, you know what you know when you go in. And then the thing is, you want to make sure that you're telling the, the entity or the group or the director or staff what they can do to enhance what those kids are doing. And right. at, when you get through with that and you go, you know, did I help them? Can I possibly say anything that will help them get better? That's going to make the judging aspect for you much easier as opposed to you thinking, I got to put this right number down because eventually you will put the right number down. Cause as we say, the kids always tell you what to put down. That's true. Yeah. That's interesting. It almost sounds like your job as a judge is to like teach the teachers in a way. Or Maybe not if... teach, but, 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 it, you know, you're there to help them. Everybody thinks that we are the bad guys, but really yeah. we're, we're there to see a, see and hear a great product. And if it is, you reward them for it. And if it's not great then you say, well, maybe if you do these things, this might help out the next time that you go through this. If you just do a couple of things that, you know, it might enhance your product. And then you go from there. It's like, okay. Yeah. And that's um, just real quick interlude. I've another crazy thing about my first experience is critique. So I was super nervous. And when I told the other judge who's been judging for a while, he was like, Paul, like he was, he was individual visual. So he was like, Paul, if you need me to back you up, let me know. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, thank God. But thankfully, critique went well. Um, most of it was pretty smooth. Like I didn't really get attacked for anything I said. Most of them were pretty receptive to my comments. And I was like, I was like word vomiting the whole time. Like that's what it felt like. But critique still went well from what I remember. <laughs> and Dan will attest to this. Critiques are probably the, the most non-anticipated thing that we do. 
even though it's where we get our time to speak, you know, you know, I'm much more comfortable speaking through the mic, talking to the kids or talking to the staff. And then when we have to get through it at the end, you have to put your thoughts together and make sure that you're saying things that, you know, that you said on your tape and hopefully you did your job. So you're able to, to go back in and not word vomit, but, you know, give them content specific things to think about. Yeah. I don't like yeah, critiques right. Try either. to remember back. <laughs> okay. The, the, the critique is, to me, my favorite part. And I, I can, as many years as I've been around saying, uh, it was like over 50 or something, I, I, I can always, just, anybody who wants to kind of unload on me, I'm fine. I've been yelled at by the best. And years later, we're the best of friends. You know, we sometimes it takes a while to sneak in. But I miss shows, or I miss the critique of shows where we don't have it, because we don't always have it. And it's usually those nights that you want to talk to the instructors, you know, or or you want to get information from the instructors to clarify if you didn't quite get what they were trying to say musically or what they were trying, what the package was about, what was the journey they were trying to take a song musically and visually. And a lot of times you don't get that opportunity. So when you do have a chance to talk to them, that's wonderful. Another cool thing is more and more, especially during band season and, and with the water programs, guard, percussion, winds, we are having early shows where we actually get to work with the students. We get to work with the instructors' clinic session. Mm-hmm. I was up in Boise, Idaho this weekend. Mike Anderson put together a thing up there where we, we got like 40 minutes to work with the brass and the woodwinds and the percussion and then see them put it out on the field. And talk about giving wonderful reads of the programs uh, and a chance to deal directly with the students. It's, it's amazing. Also, the students get a chance to see, oh, the judges are human. Yeah. The judges are yes. also probably band directors, instructors, and so forth. They're not just somebody, you know, talking, bubble. well, we're using iPhones for half of our stuff now because the microphones don't work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not this cold detachment. The judges are engaged. The judges mm-hmm. are part of what the students are doing, what the directors are doing, what the instructors are doing. How old are you, Paul? I'm 28. Yeah, you, oh. you've got some time. I would be 28. <laughs> you got some time. Uh, yeah, the, the clinic thing, and this this is the first year I was, I was able to do a clinic uh, through uh, Con Selmer and I forget who else it was. Charles Palin, yeah, Charles Palin Music in Missouri uh, did a, a clinic with Brett Kuhn. Uh, and uh, what exactly what you're talking about, you know, being able to give feedback, but also being able to do a hands-on thing where you can say, okay, let's try this for this phrase and think about this and this and this, and then implement it into a segment. The great thing was they did a run. We did the clinic for 30 minutes, and then they came back and did a run after the clinic. And the transformation of the, of the, the band was pretty immediate. And everyone was able to see how that worked out. You know, it really, it really makes a difference. Yeah, it's super interesting to see that sort of a comment get applied almost in like real time. Uh, 
what do you think, I guess, if, if maybe for newer judges out there, because I'm also looking to step into this world myself, what should people go into their meetings prepared with uh, at Critique or how could you best prepare to, to bring those sort of helpful comments? Take notes. Take notes. I, I, I do a, a format that I use with my judges uh, here in California because I'm caption coordinator for music. And I want to see their note sheet before we go into the dialogue with the instructors and directors. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of stuff. Three bullet points, five bullet points. That's about all you're going to have time to cover. Yeah. 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 Right. It's like when you do your... I was just going to say, surround yourself with somebody like Dan, <laughs> who's an, an amazing teacher. I'm, I'm evasive. No, bro. really. I got I got to work with Dan this past winter, and I learned so much working with Dan. So much. But you know, the important thing is you know you're going to be talking to the instructors. So... Just some notes, you know. Yeah. First of all, you're, you're not the team that wore blue. Oh, you're the ones that wore green. You know, yeah. what is the show about and so forth? And then a few bullet points of things that stood out positive and these improved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this for DCI, we get the program notes for everybody before the season. So if you're doing GE, which that's not usually, I'm not doing GE, usually I'm ensemble or, or field brass. Um, the uh, what we want to do is know what the show is about before we get to them. And sometimes I'll be honest, sometimes we even reading about it, we don't really know what the show's about, but that's another story. But, uh, <laughs> but then, you know, what, what Dan talks about is making sure that, you know, the six or seven or five or six bullet points you can say, like for brass or for, you know, for music, your kids aren't breathing enough. Uh, they don't, they don't, move well so they don't play well or vice versa uh or you know you, they need to talk you need to talk about uh tone quality all the time or you need to do this in the ballad there's certain things like that that will will create the opportunity for them to be better the next time they perform because usually it's like you know hopefully what we have to say is going to be something that they are wanting to hear uh, and occasionally you'll run into some folks who don't want to hear what we have to say, and it is what it is. But And you know, let me jump in on what Mark said. The other side of the coin is helping directors and instructors be prepared for the critique. Yeah. They shouldn't come in cold. The first thing or the work you can ask as an instructor is, what do you think? The judge just gave you seven to ten minutes worth of recordings and you said, what do you do? And some of us who've been around a long time have occasionally asked them, okay, let's play my recording. That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's cool, maybe, but it's, it's a, a learning moment for instructors. I've always thought, I would call this by people whose names you wouldn't even recognize, Bill Royer, Jim Jones, and so forth, from the instructor side. You go into the critique with a piece of paper lined down the middle, plus on one side, what they like? Negative on the other side, what do we need to work on? And then you can cover the most important ones off of that sheet for each caption. That's what instructors need to know. They can't just come in, what did you think? I didn't listen to your recording. <laughs> 
So, so basically you're saying that. listen to the tapes before you go into critique. We have a lot of listeners here who are instructors and I want to like point this at all of our listeners. Listen to your tapes. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah, I just totally forgot that they listen to tapes. I mean, when I taught, I don't remember listening to tapes until after the show because it only only be like one-off shows. But then the show that I did judge was the prelims and finals. So, you know, expect a difference. They listen to the tapes. And then I, I didn't realize that question where they're like, so you said in your tape, and I'm like, I don't, I don't remember what I said like three hours ago. <laughs> and they say something and I'm like, okay, I can reference a part of your show. I remember it was this visual thing on the right side of the field. But yeah, I think that's, it's so funny that sometimes they're overprepared and then you're like, they're like, what do you think about this one flag on side two on the 15? And I'm like, I didn't see her. She's on the 15. Like, I don't, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah. That happens. That happens. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's almost a good jumping point there. What do you think is a common misconception maybe about judging or adjudication? Oh, it's that that we it's predetermined before it starts oh. or yeah this isn't wwe like oh, it's gosh. not predetermined we need to watch your shows like you have to and like i think it's funny because when i was in just quick side when i was practicing and i was comparing my scores to the actual judges for the boa competition because i was just practicing um i wasn't sure if i was basing it on feeling or not and so it's kind of like, okay, obviously you have to be technical, right? You're playing wrong notes or they're not marching in time or they're not doing certain things, right? From a technical standpoint, but then there's like performance quality and musical, you know, phrasing and all that sort of nuance. And so that's for me still a, like 2% based on feeling a little bit, right? And so it's like general effect is general effect, you know, it's kind of hard to sort of delineate emotional versus like factual sort of judging for me, um, especially from doing it for the first time. I've always thought that general effect would be how well the group can elicit that feeling that you're talking about. Um, like how well can they make you really yeah. just take you out of the moment of judging and into the moment of just being an audience member again. Mm -hmm. And I remember in my tape, I was like, okay, like, well, the audience need to see you know it's like they need to remind themselves like the context of what their show is about and how they feel because you know i do get emotional still i love band i love music and hearing certain pieces of music <laughs> you know brings a tear to my eye um but i think that's like you i think they think that judges are heartless people and that they <laughs> don't like them especially younger people when i was marching Recently, I marched in 2022 with UCF Texas World, and some of those some of those kids, I'm sorry, they're just like, well, why are they doing better than us? And I'm like, it's because of these things, but you're you don't understand. It's okay. No, Paul, I got slotted. Okay, <laughs> I got slotted. Or it's personal, right? Or it's personal. Yeah. Oh well, that judge. Us. You know, you know, and that's, that judge has hated us for years. I know. That, that uh, no, 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 no. Coming back again and again and again. In 1984, da 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 da, the judges did this. Well, no, they didn't. You know that, that this whole slotting, or that the decisions were made in the little back room, and so forth. Uh, 
you know, fortunately, people are digging up recordings of those years, and we can look at it and listen to it with fairly decent quality, and go look and listen again. Um, but there is a huge misconception is that the, it doesn't matter what you do, you're slotted, and you have to live with it, even if it's 50 later. Nice. It's, it's still still discussions going around. I like Paul uh, talking about uh, the emotional aspect on effect. You know, but there's three three aspects of effect. You've got the intellectual, so you can analyze it and say, hey, that's pretty cool. The aesthetic value, you know, where it's easier to work of art and so forth, and then the emotional. And some groups and bands or units that you're judging will only work with one of those. Some with two, but when they make all three levels, then you know you've seen a great performance put together well by a good design team with students to understand what they're trying to communicate to the audience. And I like to use the example of Shakespeare. Shakespeare's plays played to three different levels. To the rich people up in the stands and the bleachers in the top, the middle class, and the people down in the pit that loved every raunchy joke you could throw at them. You know, so <laughs> if you think of Shakespeare, that's what we're judging when we're doing effect. Those three different levels. All right. Let's take that and go off to our gush and goes for the week. So for anybody who's new here, we this is the segment of our show where we take a moment to gush and go on about whatever we would like to that has to pertain to the marching arts and we'll have our regulars start us off first so steven what do you want to gush about i am so happy because we finally finished learning all of the show at my uh, marching band that i teach so now the season can get good now and we can just uh, clean and perfect it uh, but it's always a grind getting to uh the end of the show every year with the marching band so i'm looking forward to rounding out the season well seriously i love this point too tom what about you um you know i want to celebrate that all my drum heads came in this week at templeton <laughs> you don't understand how big of an issue that is but, uh, Unfortunately, I'm having a hard time gushing go because I learned just the other day that we lost another drum and bugle corps. Oh. And I guess we can talk about that later. I'm, I'm, I don't want to bring it down. I don't want to bring us down. Well, hey, it's on the docket. <laughs> it's on. Paul, how about you? What do you want to gush about? Um, other than judging, other color guard things I'm doing this fall is designing and choreography for Reverie A, so I'll be helping them out in Atlanta, Georgia, and then I will be visiting my team in the UK, uh, Northern Academy. Uh, so I'll be seeing them for two weekends and working with those kids. And that team, they are so excited to meet me. They're like, oh my, they're like, oh my god, the kids, they're so excited to meet you. Like, are you free on Sunday? <laughs> dinner? I'm like, yeah, like of course. Like I know it's a holiday, but celebrity. I'm like, do you? Do they not want the time off? They're like, no, they're so excited to hang out with you and get to know you in person. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that's wonderful. So like, I'm really excited to meet that team this this season in person. <laughs> Is it nice. teaching in another country in another culture just like an amazing eye opening experience? 
Oh yeah, for sure. Like it's weird how the culture of color guard specifically, like they start yes. so young, like in Canada, it's like that too, where they start so young and they just stay with that group for like six, seven, eight years. It's yes. wonderful. So now that you guys know how it goes, Mark, would you like to gush and go on about something? Uh, you know, everybody said, it, you know, you spoke of Bantober uh, at the beginning of the, of the show and I'm in week five already <laughs> of Bantober and, and actually getting ready to start week six. Uh, I get a little bit of a break uh, in three weeks and then I have another another week after that. I have 10, 10 weekends out of the, the fall that are adjudication based. But it's great. I love it. I absolutely love it. I recommend it highly, particularly after retirement. Oh, we're supposed to wait till after retirement. I knew I did something wrong. Yeah, there you go. And it's great. I get to see. uh, I get to see Dan in November because I get to come out to do WBA uh, in in Sacramento. Oh my god, which is really neat. Yeah, I will say the other judges that I was with, they were talking about retirement things. Like, yeah. they're like, so sorry, Paul, that we're talking about this. I'm like, no, like, it's okay. Like, live your truth. It's fine. Yes. I mean, I, I, I did it for years where it was like, I could only do three or four shows because of marching season. I had my own thing. Yep. But I could, you know, I had a Bands of America show I could do. Or I could do this show for, for Nola Jones or whatever. And now I'm doing all of it, you know, and it's, I yeah. have the time for it. It's great. <laughs> Highly recommended. Dan, how about you? What would you like to gush about? Uh, first of all, when Mark's coming out, I'm one of the co-founders of WBA back in the late 70s with Mike Levino and Rivera and so forth. So that's going to be totally cool. Uh, and I just retired as just a college administrator at a community college in Fremont on uh, September 30th. And my retirement day, <laughs> I was doing marching that. The thing I have found about retirement <laughs> is... It creates a vacuum. And nature doesn't like a vacuum. So it fills it in. So I'm judging all the way through to the weekend before Thanksgiving. That's when the championships are out here. I get a few weeks off, and I have my first um, evaluation clinic day for the Winter Guard Winter Percussion wins the second weekend in January. So I'm filling this vacuum. And... Even at my advanced age, I just love doing it. And I love working with the students. I love working with young instructors. And Paul, you want to come out? We'll do you some judge training, okay? Oh, yeah. I'll it. show you the ropes. So can we have like an on a water break uh, judge staff trip? Master class Yeah, with like Dan. a big master class with Dan. <laughs> For anybody who's been on a water break, um, I'm signing up for this, please. (laughs) I'm signed up already. I need it. (laughs) Jeremy, how many airline miles you got over there? (laughs) All right. (laughs) We need to get back out on the field and uh, take some reps. And then when we're back, it is time for some Q&A from our listeners. So... Mm 
Hey, this is Christine Ream and Chris Green. Guard Closet was founded as a consignment business in 2000. Since then, it has grown to include winter guard, band, percussion, and other genres. We can help you with custom flag and costuming designs. Our consignment inventory has plenty of great looks for your color guard, drumline, and marching band. Pay it forward. When you purchase consignment, you help other programs. Last year, we sold over 400 sets of consignments and returned over $125,000 in payments to our consigners for their sales. Additionally, Guard Closet offers custom and pre-designed costumes, flags, floors, and formal wear, full or partial show writing, educational programming, and other services. Max out your rehearsal time and set up a microsite for easy student ordering for shoes, gloves, and other equipment. The Guard Closet team is here to help you get everything you want and need for your season. Check us out at guardcloset.com and follow us on social media. All right, guys, welcome back. Grab your water jugs. It is question and answer time. Uh, Steven, why don't you take the first one? Sure, Jackie. So our first question, it comes from a listener, Cassandra, who asks, why does it seem like some judges judge on what they see and other judges judge on what they don't see or personal preferences? Well, to be honest, we can't say things about things we don't see unless it's detrimental to what the product is. So... As I mentioned earlier, if, if I've got a group that's coming out trying to play Shostakovich, but they can't, they can't create good sounds, then I have to talk about the fact that they're not breathing. It's something that I don't see. It's something I don't perceive because it doesn't sound well. If they're breathing well, then all of a sudden I'll have a product that I could sort of kind of give a better evaluation of. Right. Is, uh, it, is it pertaining more to like, and I, without using any group's names, but group A is a past champion so you know the product is probably going to be good by the end of the season so you're giving them credit mm. for it right now and the other group is usually not so great and you're you're giving them what they normally get but that's because that's the product they're putting out i think that's maybe what they're asking there right is that i think you might be onto something there it's like their bias perhaps about what they what they want to see in the competition or, or their own subjective preferences it's all about mm. those sheets it's also <laughs> like when you're a member and you know your own personal part and then you go watch the show the show is different from what you think it is especially what the focus is and again we're human we can only see and analyze so much. And again, we don't use the tick system anymore where we're degrading you. We're basing you on rewarding on what you have and content and achievement. And so it's sort of that backwards, like we're not trying to take you down, but our goal is to raise you up. I think, I think it's also kind of a, well, it's partially a loaded question. If we're talking about a judge going in with preconceptions or a set of personal preferences. You know, I like jazz. Okay, so I'm going to give more credit to the show that plays jazz versus classical. And no, I'm not going to play my French horn. It's just sitting there for later this evening. Uh, you know, as a judge, you have to practice being eclectic. You have to practice accepting and understanding so many different musical styles, visual styles. You have to study what has come before. So you can then see where this unit is performing it tonight, today, whatever. And we came up with this concept a number of years ago where we were supposed to credit the performance of the day. 
for the performance of the night. Yeah. That if band A comes out and just lays it out there and it's only the middle of October, they deserve the credit for it regardless of the style. As long as they are true to the style they're presenting, you as a judge have to understand what they're trying to tell you and give them credit for it. Yes, and I think maybe while we're talking about preconceived notions, there's something to be said too as the instructor walking into critique to maybe abandon your preconceived notion about of how well you think the show is going or, or the design of the show and just be open to the feedback that you could receive. I think sometimes there's a tendency to, to not want to trust the outside judge's opinion on, on what you're doing with your show when really you should be open to that feedback and at least maybe consider it with uh, all the things that you would you care about with your own group. Uh, Jackie, do you want to take our next question? Yeah, so I've got one from our listener, Ella. She wants to know, do you ever call one person out specifically on technique? I'm assuming on your tapes, do you ever just like look at somebody and call them out on their technique? I'll, I'll step in on that one. <laughs> somebody mentioned the tick system. I'm probably the only person in the room that ever <laughs> used the tick system. <laughs> and it wasn't as objective as people like to think. It was subjective uh, mm -hmm. within certain parameters. And I, certain colleagues, and I won't name names, but uh, would actually point at individuals, physically <laughs> oh, or visually. Uh, and we would occasionally, uh, you know, name, if we, we, we didn't use people's names, but, but let's say in the second flute section, you know, they're having intonation problems. You're going to do that, but you're not really pointing to an individual. Uh, but yeah, there was a time judges did point. <laughs> now it's, have, you, ver you verbalize it. Can you I have a small it. history lesson here, just as a side note for myself? When did we go from the tick system to the sort it, of It system? evolved from ticking on the field that was only the field judges that did ticking. Okay. Uh, the upstairs effect judges wrote comments because we weren't even recording yet. This was late 70s, early 80s. Okay. Uh, Birmingham, we were doing yeah. the new system where we were putting everybody on a build-up system, but we, we didn't institute it with Montreal, but we continued to field trial it in Montreal. Uh, 81, 82. Boy, I remember this. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but we did a thing called Tick and Talk, where we actually started recording. So we put it down on the sheet, but we'd also say what it was, you know, what section, which individuals, and so forth were out of step, phasing, uh, interval problems, so forth. Same thing musically, uh, third sopranos, drum corps, my gosh, uh, the intonation <laughs> issue not balanced with the seconds and first so forth but it was late 70s early 80s we made the transition if i'm not mistaken dan in 84 was the first year it went subjective exactly which, okay. which is my That's... my age out year yeah yeah 83 83 i i still remember uh barry swain actually being on the field for music in 80 in 83 in miami yeah, uh, Barry was on the field. I was upstairs on Ensemble Brass uh, for two days of prelims. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, well, Barry and I used to room together on tour. We don't even need to start talking life. about those years because I feel like we're going to start talking about birth years and. To get back to calling people out, and the thing is, the same thing happened with the Winter Guard with WGI. Yeah, because '82, mm-hmm. I remember I was on the floor for semis, no prelims. It was prelims finals. So it didn't have semis yet. I was on the floor on uh, movement, and um, 84, 84, 85, I was upstairs, you know, but not all the way at the top. I was partway down the stands doing the same caption, hmm. doing, doing M&M visual. You know, we, we evolved from an M&M to visual. So it was WGI jumped in right after DCI did it. The marching bands... Um, was pretty much a build-up system from the beginning, but 76, I think, was the first NBA championship. Live Oak won. Live Oak. Uh, Mike Rubino's yeah. band, I was actually on his design team, <laughs> along with Shirley Whitcomb, Stanley Knob, and some others. Dan, I, some names have, there. I have got to get you back on here again for like a full episode history lesson at some point, because that's <laughs> one of my favorite things about band is is literally band history, marching arts history, so... I did, did we, we answer the question? I can't remember. <laughs> Wait, I, I do want to say one thing about that. Like Ella, I think the only real time will point somebody out is if they're a soloist and they mess up. Uh, you know what? I think it happens right. more That's in marching point. percussion or in the pit. We don't uh, okay. necessarily call them by I name, actually... but we say, you know, second snare from the end or middle yes. tenor player uh, okay. or bass four. Yeah. We, we'll address them by that, but it's never been like, hey. <laughs> I was going to say, you. as a bass drummer, I've definitely, uh, in my bass features, been called out. I will be honest. I will be honest. If, if, if I'm on the field and I am going by and I'm sampling the baritones and there's a baritone that's barking out of the ensemble, I will say, you know, baritone 40-yard line, you know, be okay. careful with tongue placement, you know. Mm-hmm. And usually if I'm close enough, I'll give them the, the look over the glasses and just <laughs> make sure they know what I'm talking about. That's okay. funny. Steven, why don't you take our next question? Sure. Our next question comes from Nico, who says, how do you know when students are ready for higher level work? I frequently get judges uh, tapes that indicate my students look ready for more body under the equipment, but most seasons we're pulling body moves and cutting them because students can't get it with the choreo. That's a complicated question because it's a matter, when it comes to color guard choreography at least, and sometimes they ask us about, you know, hey, can you do the visuals too? And we're like, I don't know if we could. But again, it's about building up the entire ensemble right? And then developing the culture that the veterans are able to pull the newer members up at the same time. And so it's a, it's kind of difficult because you might have those members who have been to the seniors or whatever in high schools, especially where they're fine. And then those newer members, you know, may not grow at the same pace. And so it's kind of like you have to develop that culture where they trust and they grow and they love. Yeah, and they yeah, learn. for sure. I would also say get into the middle school if you can. The program that's going to feed mm. your your, your yeah. program. That's that's really where uh, I think here in California we we do it well getting into the middle schools. Same as Texas, I think, building those programs up. 
That's that's a fantastic answer there, Paul. It was real. It was like spot on. Totally, man. <laughs> I'm serious. It is because you know, as a director myself, we we did less choreo because we weren't trained for it. And once we did mm-hmm. get that going, you know, once the kids are able to digest it, then we were able to give them more. So yeah. you know. It's sort of that old adage, you don't give a baby a steak until they can, you know, you, you, cre- <laughs> you make it into such an entity that they can digest it. And then as they mature, you give them more material, more material, and mm-hmm. then it's there. Yeah, like I think another thing is like you don't have to go full Santa Clara Vanguard and do a whole dance teacher and a backflip, you know, during your show. But, you know, raise the bar to where you think they need to be and, you know, obviously ask the judges and – I think you can sort of gauge where that happens over yeah. time. I'm still. It's funny. I had I, I had bands that that were able to do it, and then all of a sudden the next year they're not, and it was because the the maturity base uh, graduated, and so the next mm-hmm. year you know we didn't have that that. Yeah, and then you had to wait. You had to wait, and then you could bring it back. I'm, yeah, also having the instructors for that is really important. The, the people who could really teach and still yeah. inspire that sort of yeah. energy. Your John Escalantes, your Michael James. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I'm still rolling over about the giving a baby a steak comment. That one hit really home because uh, I have a toddler who's been learning how to eat <laughs> solid food. <laughs> uh, I have another question, though. This is a really good one from our listener, Tommy. Um, he's asking a couple of questions that he did not know as a young instructor. And there's two parts. One is what is vertical orchestration? And two, what do they mean by pacing? So. All right. So let's clear our schedule for the next four hours. (laughs) Dan, you're the man. I'll make this this brief, I promise. Uh, Um, Pacing is an effect comment. Yes. Vertical orchestration is an ensemble analysis uh, type of comment. Vertical is any moment in time, how many things are going on simultaneously. You got the trumpets triple tonguing while backing up into a blind set while doing some sort of choreo. That is a pretty thick vertical moment. Simultaneous responsibility. Uh, well, that's yes. the other word for it. <laughs> Good, Mark. Um, pacing has more to do with the uh, it, actually horizontal composition. If you want to go to the ensemble analysis word for it, pacing is giving us highs and lows and connecting things, giving us a nice emotional curve to the program. We're using the word journey a lot now. WGI, we've we bought into it totally DCI's putting up with it. Uh, marching bands, most marching band circuits talk about the musical journey, which is how the program is put together musically. Is it giving you highs and lows? Is it keeping the audience engaged? And I, I always, I, I love movies. I talk about cinematography. Yeah. I talk about movies. Mm-hmm. A well-paced movie will let you relax a moment then and then pop out at you or they get a little tension building and have a nice resolution that's pacing yeah i think uh, (laughs) yeah i think one comment i want to say too about marching at crown so again this doesn't apply but transitions are really important (laughs) right how long i want to talk about inferno really quick because i was in that show transitions 
can yeah. create the whole pacing. <laughs> they made that chord longer by 32 counts at the very end, and they cut the transitions in between. It was awful because I had to lay down at the end of every song. <laughs> so I'd lay down, and then they're like, oh, we need to make this transition shorter. So you get two counts to lay down and then get back up. And I was like... Oh my God. And they did that for all five transitions. Like if you watch that show, it's very fast. It's crazy. So transitions are probably the biggest, like, how does that feel going from one song to the next, right? Where are you taking us on that journey as Dan said? So like, I think transitions are probably the biggest spot you can look at first when it comes to pacing. And actually a lot of of us uh, over the years, the word transition alone was kind of a no-no. If you had to do a transition, it means you didn't think through the process of taking us from one thought, one emotion to the next, to the next, to the next. And like you said, sometimes these transitions show up where, hold it, you didn't allow enough time for the guard to get down, get the new equipment and get back up, you know, and do it in an artistic manner rather than run down, get it and run back on the floor or allow the brass players a chance to take a deep breath before starting the next piece or getting the percussion battery, especially staged correctly. It should be through composed. I've got a question. Uh, This question comes from an avid listener of the show. His name's Steven. He listens every single week for quite a long time now. Um, Yeah, he asks... Uh, what advice could you offer to young judges who have just started working in high school circuits, uh, but it's <laughs> aspire to adjudicate maybe at higher levels of the activity one day? Practice and and listen as much as you can to the to the folks around you that are experienced. Like these good folks on the call here, they seem to have quite a lot of good information. It's, it's kind of a thing where, and it's sad because I get younger judges asking me, where do we go to learn this? Where do I go to interact? When I first started, I was fortunate. Gail Royer mm. told me I had to learn how to judge since I was starting my own horn line while I, with a younger corps while still marching Santa Clara. And he said, you're going to go to this clinic on brass. You're going to go to this clinic on movement. Uh, you're going to listen to Don Angelica. You're going to listen to uh, Earl Joyce. No, it's all these people. And you would try to find when's a workshop going to happen. You go to the workshop. When's a clinic going to happen? You go to the clinic. You ask permission to sit next to one of the judges while they're judging and just listen to how they're handling the dialogue. Watch how they're doing the numbers concept. And, and mm-hmm. some people are a little nervous about that. I encourage people, come sit next to me. You know, in between the bands, we'll talk. Because yeah. I want people to learn, but you have to go out and get it. These days, we also have this great stuff called video. <laughs> we didn't have it back then. You know, we had Fleetwood Records for the drum course, so we could listen to the drum course, um, but we didn't have videos. We didn't have the opportunity. So there's so much media out there. When we first started talking into recorders, we were recording what little bit of a football halftime show would show up on the NFL games, just so we were practicing dialogue. I'm serious. Yeah. We didn't know I, think laughing, I think he's laughing because just, they were showing halftime for NFL back in the day. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, they would. I mean, these days they got to go to the talking heads. But, yeah. you know, practice I, with my, my judges. Um, 
the CSBC. In fact, they're getting the next blast from me. Here's clips. I want you to listen to these clips. Give me some comments. Give me some comments. What are you listening to? And I'm going into uh, concert literature. You know, we've got some Aslanka. We've got some Tekeli, so forth. I'm giving them visuals, um, you know, from shows that were written 40 years ago. Have them talk about how they were put together. But it's practice, practice, practice. And then anytime one of the more experienced people is doing a presentation, be there. So you can yeah. learn from them. Yeah. Well, if I could add one thing, I know you want to get to another question. Uh, I was I was basically forced into judging. I, I, I smile when I say that. Uh, my mentor, and I, I, I think of him all the time, Gary Markham. Gary got me into into teaching, and then once you know he he taught me in drum corps in 1981, uh, and when I started teaching in Cobb County, you know I was working with drum corps. Uh, I did a stint with Spirit, did a stint with uh, Magic of Orlando. And uh, when I I remember the day that Gary just came up and said, Mark, you need to get into this adjudication thing. You really need to do this because it's going to help your teaching and you know what you're talking about. And of course, I had I, I didn't think I knew what I was talking about. But uh, he coerced me and he coerced me. And then I, finally, I broke down and did it. Uh, I just broke down and did it. And, and, and it's been for me in terms of an educator, I'm not, I'm not a, a, I've retired now, but when I started doing drum corps and teaching uh, or, or judging, it actually made me, my teaching vocabulary, it went up exponentially. Yeah, I, it, like, I, and I can't even, I, I can't even put a measure on it how much better I became as an instructor. Both on on brass, woodwinds, visual, everything. It, it was just everything was enhanced. So you know, for the person who wants to get into it, uh, if you have a love for it and you want to be able to give back, because uh, I feel that's my whole thing right now. I'm giving back to an activity that actually saved my life. Uh, I think it's I think it's it's important for you to jump in there and do it for the right reasons. A lot of people ask you how how it pays. I'm not ever thinking about the drum corps check or the Bands of America check. I mean, you know, getting paid is good, but it's really neat to just be out there with the kids and, and share the experience and the energy that they're putting out. And you're wanting to give them the best information you can. And most circuits will have a, a certification of some sort that you might need to, to do. There used to be WGI certification. I think that's gone now. But uh, the, the Bands of America, I think U.S. Bands, have a U-Learn. There's lots of things out there you can uh, uh, learn from and, and get certified. And uh, lots of circuits need judges. All right. Well, we have so many more listener questions that have come in, but we just don't have time. So I'm just saying we're going to have to have you all back for another round robin. This is like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the things I'm learning in the history is just fantastic. Uh, we need to get our rehearsal going though. So uh, I hope you guys feet are not asleep. Let's uh, go ahead and put your water bottles up and let's get back out on the field. We'll see you in a minute. That was such a great rehearsal chunk. We have a fun new thing that we have been doing. Actually, it's not super new. We've been doing this for a while, but still. Uh, I really like to get to know you guys that are on the show. And just to talk and get to know you a little bit more, Paul, 
what part of the marching band show are you? Oh, I am Mr. Technical, but big smiles and performance. You know, it's so funny when people ask me what I think about when I'm performing, big smiles or whatever, you know, angry when I was at Crown. But in my (laughs) head, I am thinking count structure. I cannot go on autopilot like, like other people can. And so my whole show is based on that. But I love performing. I love looking at the audience and connecting with people. And so I find myself really being that performer that wants to look at people directly in the eyes in the audience. And so that's the kind of performer I like to be um, in the marching band show. That's honestly, that's what I like tell all of my students to aspire to. I'm like, look, find somebody in the audience and look them right in the eye and just perform right to that person. (laughs) So, uh, Paul, I would absolutely love having you on my guard clearly you should come out and teach sometime that would be super fun too before we get into the news we have alicia who is starting her new segment bring it in alicia are you ready to bring it in Hey, Jackie. Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, Let's go ahead and bring it in. This week, I have a question from Antonio. Antonio wrote in and said, I feel like my students are constantly distracted and frustrated during rehearsal right now with everything that has nothing to do with band. Do you have any advice for how I can get everyone focused on what we are trying to do in rehearsal? Well, Antonio, I have really two trains of thoughts here. My first one is, what is your process. What does it typically look like? I think, you know, we tend to start our seasons with a pretty defined process, especially with fundamentals. We always come in and we do a five minute stretch block and then we do, um, you know, marching fundamentals and then, you know, whatever your process looks like for how you start your rehearsals from day one has to stay the same. And I think that, we really get bogged down at this time of year because everything feels rushed and we feel like we have so much to get done and never enough time. We tend to drop those processes off at this point. We think, man, let's, let's just skip the technique block today and get right into, you know, cleaning the drill. And that sets our students up to feel a little chaotic. So I think, you know, think about your process, not just so much as being about like, fundamentals or whatever, but it's also a mental game for our students, right? Um, and I say over and over again all the time, and I, you know, most people would agree, um, time spent training is never time wasted. So don't necessarily think about that time as like, we don't have time for it today. We've got to get into cleaning the drill. Always make the time for it. Um, because while you're, you're getting your fundamentals in, you're training, you're also letting the students have that time to turn their brains on and get focused in on your rehearsal um, and let go of those outside frustrations. Because, yeah, we're in October. Yeah, it's Bantober, but we also have midterms and we have the seasons changing and we have the time about to change and the days are getting shorter. So everything just feels a little different. And students, especially today, really, really need consistency to rely on. And it sets them up for success. And I would take that a step further. This is my second train of thought. Um, Have a ritual with your students. Um, And it doesn't have to be anything major. Um, One of mine from the past, I'll I'll give an example of my own uh, winter guard in 2019. 
we listened to Once Upon Another Time, which is a song by Sarah Bareilles, and we started every show day laying down, closing our eyes, listening to that song. And it was just a way of like, they turn their brains off for a minute. They think about what we're about to start doing. And it helped transition them from the outside world into the rehearsal world. Um, so think about what can you implement in your program that is a ritual for your students that, you know, is less than five minutes, but is a way for them to turn off those outside frustrations and focus in on what you're doing today. Um, I saw a great one on WGI uh, just the other day. They featured um, just a little short behind the scenes with Dobbins Bennett High School, and the student mentioned that their instructor, Jed, before every performance, sprays them with a little cologne. And that is a great example of it's activating a sense it's a consistent ritual and it, it pulls them in and helps them focus. Uh, you know, some groups do like a lifesaver before a performance. Um, something like that in the band world, obviously it's going to be a different, something different, but maybe just a song that as you guys set up, we listen to this song together and it helps us focus in on, on what we're about to do and, and leave all that stuff outside and leave it at the door. So that's that's my biggest answer to that question. Check out your process. And then is there a tradition or a ritual that you could add in for your students? Thank you, Antonio, for that awesome question. And if you have a question, just email us at onawaterbreakpodcast at gmail.com. All right, back to Jackie. Now, on to the news. Up first is our resident band mom. It's Cindy Berry, a.k.a. Leander Mama, back with her Mama Minute. This week, she recaps BOA Memphis and talks about the crazy competition in Katy and Bedford, Texas. Hello, band friends. It's Cindy, back again with this week's Mama Minute. It's Bandtober in the marching band world, and you know what that means. We pretty much breathe, eat, and sleep nothing but band this entire month. And that is exactly what I did this past weekend. There were no less than five BOA contests this past Saturday, and I was burning up that Box 5 TV subscription Saturday night, bouncing back and forth between all of the finals. But the most fun I had on Saturday was spending the morning and afternoon attending live and in person the inaugural Bands of America Memphis Regional. There were bands from eight different states, and not one of them Texas or Indiana. Did that mean it wasn't a very exciting competition then? Far from it. These southern bands came to play, and play they did. I was so happy to see the bands doing so well in the Mid-South area. And I feel like we absolutely are going to see it continue to grow in popularity. Huge shout out to my hometown and the Bartlett Panther Band from Bartlett, Tennessee for their very first BOA Regional Championship. I hope Memphis will continue hosting a regional because all of the bands there on Saturday were fantastic and prove that there's definitely a need for one in the Mid-South. I'm also super excited to see that Bartlett is going to Grand Nats next month along with another nearby band, the Arlington High School Band. Band in Tennessee is looking phenomenal. And that doesn't just include Dobbins Bennett, y'all. The greater Memphis area is on fire, and I love it. One final shout-out to Memphis and the Liberty Bowl Stadium for serving up some delicious Corky's Barbecue in the concessions. 
I love me some barbecue pulled pork, y'all. And that added to some nachos. And you have some of the best concession stand food I've ever tasted. The Alamo Dome? Well, they could definitely take some lessons from the Liberty Bowl when it comes to serving up what the people want to eat. But I digress. Now, on to the rest of the regionals last Saturday. The Flagstaff Regional saw perennial favorite American Fork from Utah in first place, and the Toledo Regional crowned Jenison, Michigan winner with the Centerville, Ohio Jazz Band in second. Yes, they are a marching jazz band, and we love to see it. Now let's travel back to Texas for two of the hottest regionals of the season, the Katy Regional and the Bedford Regional. Y'all, this was not high school band. I swear it was drum corps. Hebron came out at Bedford in finals, and after a tortuous six minutes of standing still in utter silence while the staff furiously worked on fixing some kind of electronics issue, they blew the socks, the shoes, the hair, false eyelashes, you name it. They blew it off of everyone in the stands. Those kids are absolutely nuts. And as I expected them to do, they won that regional and swept every caption. Lucas Oil Stadium is never going to be the same after they perform this show at Grand Nationals next month. Also, it was exciting to see that the Marcus Band is back, and they snagged second place at Bedford just ahead of the always amazing, always entertaining Flower Mound Band. Okay, let's talk about Katie. Coming into this competition, everyone was expecting to see a mix-up of the Woodlands, CTJ, and Ronald Reagan in the top three spots. Well, the Woodlands did grab the trophy here with their insanely good performance of Day Dance, and the Reagan Band did take second in typical Reagan style with their show from Chaos. But the most exciting surprise of the evening was seeing Cy Fair take the bronze medal here and Pearland close behind them in fourth. And they absolutely deserve those placements. These Houston bands aren't messing around. And when Pearland gets to Indianapolis next month with this phenomenal West Cartwright show they have, I would not be surprised at all to see these kids in the top half of finals. Yes, I said it, top half of finals. What a show, what a band. And with the Hebron and the Woodlands also headed to GN next month, well, the Texas contingent is coming to Lucas Oil, y'all, and they are hot, hot, hot. Well, that's all for this week's Mama Minute for the On a Water Break podcast. Things are really starting to cook in the marching band world, and this season is serving up an absolute feast. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm starving. So grab your forks, and I'll catch you next time. All right, Stephen, are you ready to... uh... Yeah, I can kick things off here with... uh with our first story that we've got here. Uh, so this one is that in Oklahoma drumline, actually they took center stage in helping promote naloxone awareness, which if you are unaware of naloxone, you should watch the PSA that this uh, Oklahoma drumline was able to put together. So essentially what naloxone is, is it's a, a, a drug that helps bring people back from an opioid overdose. Um, but this high school drumline actually was able to set up this PSA with a, a group called Zephyrus. Um, and what they did is it looks a lot like drumline, the movie in the battle scene when they're having like a drumline battle. Uh, but then all of a sudden, uh, some of the different performers, they just essentially like have trouble breathing and then 
stop performing and it kind of is accompanied by some uh, commentary about like what would happen in the event of an overdose and how if, if you were prepared uh, with that sort of a naloxone, uh, you would be able to help out if, if it just ever were to happen near you. Um, the main point of the ad is just that you should have it handy perhaps because you never know when maybe just unfortunately that might happen near you and you want to be the person who's able to help out. Um, but at the bottom of this article here, they, uh, they actually I get to talk a little bit about uh, the performer's experience itself. It said not only were the kids just excited to be a part of, uh, of the shoot, but it helped raise tuition funds for the performers that were involved. Uh, and they also got to experience being involved in such a big set and large production. Um, so really all across the board, it, it turned out to be a really positive experience for the students. They got to uh, be a part of making a pretty engaging ad, which also gets to uh, really help benefit public health in their community. So pretty cool uh, instance of drumline breaking out of the drumline world, if you ask me. I love seeing marching arts just in different lights that way that's fantastic yeah and it's really it's interesting too to see it take on like a serious subject it's uh it's kind of breaking out of, of our comfort zone a little bit and using marching arts as a lens to maybe make a, a bigger statement about something larger uh in society so you don't see that a lot it's pretty cool paul do you want to present your story Yes, so this one has the Pocahontas County High School Marching Band, or band, I should say, um, almost going out of business and disbanding, I guess you could say. But even though the director left before the seasons, uh, before the school year started, they decided, hey, you know, with us 10 members that still want to do band, all we need to do is form a pseudo sort of club get a teacher sponsor and they were able to keep the band alive. Um, and it's interesting seeing, you know, this article, you know, these students are so dedicated. They said that some of them were drummers. Most of them were drummers. So they switched instruments. They elected a, one of the students to be their band teacher or leader in this case. They had an aggressive schedule set where they still attended football games and Later on in the season, as most circuits have, um, you still have to attend, you know, a ratings, um, not a competition, but a sort of MPA for your program. And so they will be attending that and trying to, you know, get the best rating that they can. And so it's really interesting, you know, with the teacher shortage and hearing about teachers that don't want to teach anymore, how students are still motivated to be a part of the program. And I think that's really really inspiring especially you know the music and the arts it does mean a lot to a lot of students out there you know taking any elective you know wasn't an option for them they had to have been in their lives you know that reminds me of being in some ensembles at different points and thinking with my friends like man i wish we could just like write this show like if we got <laughs> to just like come up with this ourselves it'd be so much better than what my instructor came up with um, I'm sure that's maybe not how these students feel, but I, I bet it's got to be cool for them to, to be able to be creative and be the performers. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting that they that was an option, you know, because sometimes I get I've heard of people where, you know, the color guard portion is taken out 
because they don't have enough members mm-hmm. or it's not I've worth it. And so entire band it's crazy. just completely get cut because they can't find instructors where I live. Yeah, like crazy. entire, like you, you go to, you know, fifth grade music or whatever. And then like you get up into middle school, into high school and it's like, you don't have an instructor. So you just don't continue on your instrument. You don't have marching band. And it's, it's so sad. This is such a story of resilience for these students too, because like, everything that it would have had to take for them to learn what they need to do and coordinate all that, you know, and they, Mm -hmm. and they don't have the experience that an instructor would have coming in with it. That's bravo to them for sure. Jackie, what do you got for us? Are you ready for mine? I thought you had one more. Did you have one more? Oh, I thought we would come to, you than me but uh, i could go if you want to rap with yours i think it might I make think, sense i think to rap we should rap for mine i want like pause <laughs> going back to that west virginia group i want to know who ordered their shoes <laughs> just side thought like like seriously i've been dealing with so many shoe orders in the last two weeks like who <laughs> was like hey we need shoes let's collect the sizes and and uh call guard closet no <laughs> okay they probably have experience because the math teacher who um, is their um, sort of representative for the club oh. worked with them some of them before in a nonprofit, so they should have some sort of understanding and i'm sure nice maybe that math teacher ordered it and she's helping out so These high schoolers <laughs> have been operating nonprofits. <laughs> i mean that's how most from what from my understanding that's how most band organizations are organized as it's a nonprofit. that way donations yeah. can come in and yeah. yeah. And like the booster organization. Crazy. Yeah, totally. At, get at the, 15, get they're operating a nonprofit. At 15, I was operating like an Xbox 360 controller <laughs> in, in my mom's basement. <laughs> uh, okay, Steven, oh you can gosh. go with your next, your next story here. <laughs> this one's one I've been talking about, uh, honestly, since I was marching. This was always uh, something that would come up on the buses a lot. I'd be interested, Paul, to see if uh, when you were marching, if people were still as concerned about this then. But um, essentially, I did not NPR care when I was marching. Just FYI. <laughs> well, NPR just posted a story about marching bands dealing with extreme heat and how they're adjusting. Um, basically, marching bands throughout the country. Uh, it's funny, even here it says, right now with it being only 95 degrees out here, it actually feels really good for the kids. Um, I think throughout all the whole country, we've been dealing with uh, heat exhaustion, sunburns. Um, kind of, it makes me think back to when I was marching and we would cancel shows in Texas, or we would change and not be wearing full uniforms for shows in Texas. Um We'd even start wondering, so I'll posit the question to you guys. Do you think that band as we do it today is sustainable, perhaps, given the trajectory of weather, heat in the peak of the summertime? Uh, It seems like already today some of the conditions on tour aren't really sustainable anymore. Um, That's at least what I experienced in 2019. we're we're flexing and bending with the times though like you know a lot of cores have hired um you know physical therapists to deal with joint injuries and they've gotten you know nutritionists working on their meals so that the 
the members are getting the right number of calories that they need. And I think this is just another one of those things where we're more aware of something. It's becoming more of an issue and we need to yeah. like keep, you know, keep improving on it. And I think we will. And I think we do. Um, I, I just remember there was a picture I saw when I was on tour with blue stars in Oh six. Uh, I, we looked at a lot of history stuff. We learned a lot about drum corps history there. Um, but there was a picture from the 1970s. One of the tour buses had melted into the asphalt and oh like gosh. had sunk while they were at rehearsal during the day. So they came to do like EPL and they couldn't, the bus was sunk into the asphalt. Gone. Yeah. It was just like the wheels Thanos. were almost entirely <laughs> like. under the asphalt. Um, so like, like it was like the asphalt was touching the bottom of the bus cause the wheels were just in it anyways. Uh, but so like, you know, issues like that issues come up and I feel like if anybody is going to be able to deal with them and find a creative solution, it's going to be drum corps people. I think the craziest part or experience that I've had is that just one delayed show, maybe in Tennessee when I was marching crown in 2014. So I marched 2014, 15, 16. When okay. I think about those seasons, you know, we always talk about swamp tour in the lower states of the U.S. It's bad. Pretty bad. You know, Texas is kind of a hit or miss usually. Um, but most of the time, like the heat, let me stop myself. Most of the time, I'm okay with the heat because I'm from central Florida. And there's no seat yeah. there. And so I'm used to the heat. I've done marathons. I'm an avid runner and active. I grew up spinning outside in the Florida humidity, and I still love it. Um, you merely like, adopted Swamp Tour. I yes, was born in it. <laughs> I loved it. And um, But then like some states like Missouri, like they're just awful. And I even remember you know, mm -hmm. judging two weekends ago in, in, um, up north, uh, it got hotter. So like there was prelims and finals. So prelims was like 10, maybe to like two. And then finals started around 4.30. It was hotter at 4.30. Yeah. Surprisingly. And I felt bad for those kids. But hopefully maybe a solution would just be, again, not putting on your entire uniform. Does it affect the visual? Yeah, sure. But, you know, protect the kids. Um, drink more water. Uh, not doing full runs. Doing production runs so that kids can get a break, you know, during rehearsal. And... What was the other solution? Oh, instead, if you have the money and you can invest in it, switching to those like sort of sporty oh, shirts yeah. rather than a full band uniform with the jacket and everything, um, because that is another option for visual effect. Yeah, maybe you don't have to change it every year because money is thin, but maybe you just invest in one really nice, reusable, sporty shirt which you can get at garcloset.com so think about it <laughs> <laughs> um paul side note you were in my state and you didn't even call me come on now wait oh yeah <laughs> i'm from missouri i'm just saying <laughs> no yeah missouri i remember it we were all dying. The one girl, Catherine House from Missouri University, she was like, I love it here. And we're like, Catherine. <laughs> Catherine. I used to love Texas tour, but I'll tell you, I also marched Crown Paul. And oh, I okay. think the worst day of my summer, both my two summers, was Crown Beat. Something about oh, South Carolina it, when it, you come back there is just dreadful. No, in 14, <laughs> we're at that other old field where the numbers are so old, they're on the stadium like they're not on the ground they're on yeah, the stadium yeah <laughs> and just crazy there oh, every time rain it's disgusting heat 
Ugh, can't disgusting. do it. Disgusting. Enormous bugs. I remember oh, yeah. I saw a, a, like a, a moth. That thing was like five inches long. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it looked like it belonged in the jungle straight up. No, yeah. Terrible, terrible place. I hate Swamp Tour. Crazy times. <laughs> well, I have a new story that I saw on social media and I needed to verify and needed to bring it up to you guys because... It's 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 another it's a sad one, but um, Southwind is the specific terminology that they have used is they have are ceasing operations of their drum and bugle mm. corps. Oh my god! Uh, for those who don't know, that's basically they're just saying that they're folding their drum corps. I they only just came back recently. You know, I know they were they were gone for a little while there and they were in open class. And was it just last year they got third place in open class? Mm-hmm. And now they're ceasing their operations. It says it says that the the problem is basically the cost of everything, um, the rising cost of transportation and housing within their current tour model. Uh Basically, the tour itself is 65% of the core budget each summer, and there's no way that they can maintain financial stability. And God, that stinks for them. At the same time, I do applaud them for, you know, being financially responsible and not just going out there and Mm -hmm. driving the entire not-for-profit organization into the red. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Have you heard anything? I think it's a unfortunate reality i mean i kind of hope that um not to knock dan atchison or anything but there is a new guy at the helm of it over there and i know he comes from a business background um mm-hmm. and drum corps that I, I remember reading a post about Southwind folding and they said that it cost upwards or exceeding six thousand person or six thousand dollars per person so like they were able through other ways that they could raise money to only have to charge like 4,000 some in dues, but they ultimately decided that it's just economically unfeasible, which it is unfortunately becoming a reality for a lot of groups. So I'm optimistic and hopeful that with new direction, with the merging of DCI all age into regular DCI as we know it, that uh, maybe there's some way that some good comes of this and we find some some ways to either reduce costs or or bring more money into the activity. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about, you know, not to take away the spotlight, but, you know, with Santa Clara or even talking about Winter Guard, how Pride of Cincinnati is taking a break this year, how, you know, dues are rising and all of mm-hmm. those things. Um, I have a background in tax accounting, so I've studied a lot of mm-hmm. nonprofit um, returns. Um, and again, like the thing with nonprofits is you have to, op- you're operating as a nonprofit, which for our listeners, you know, you should be at zero by the end of the year. Your income or the money that comes in she equals the money, it should equal the money that goes out. And so trying to maintain that delicate balance, right? Because if you're <laughs> overspending, then you're like, okay, well, you're overspending. And then if you're not spending enough, then it's like, where's the money going? Right? right? Are you just holding on to it? And so it's 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 crazy to think about all the intricacies. But I guess what I do want to say is that if you are an alumni and you've marched at certain places, 
always giving back, being a part of those organizations and trying to support the activity in any way you can because they're all operating as nonprofits. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, you got to think about the staff and the students and the experience. Like we don't want to put kids on tour where they're eating cereal every day. Like we're not going to do that. Let's be real. They have to be fed, especially in those heated conditions, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a lot to think about. It is devastating, but I hope that, yeah, like if you are an alumni from any organization, try to get back and try to spread the word. I will say too, from, from my vantage point of where I live in the industry that I'm in, that I'm technically my actual job, uh, the agriculture side of things, the food costs are just rising so much. And we really like, you know, expanding beyond the marching band world, we really have got to get our economy set right to get these costs down because I, you know, them saying that, 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 that food and transportation budget is like 65%. I look at that number and I, and I know what our food and transportation budget is like to have a winter guard. And I'm like, 65% should not, like, it shouldn't be anywhere near that for food and transportation. So that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I love, I, I love that they're, like I said, being financially responsible. My heart goes out to all of those kids who were hoping to get to March there this year. Um, all those alumni and, uh, yeah, we need to come together as a whole marching arts community. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for a great rehearsal this week. Thank you to our hosts, Tom and Steven. Of course, Paul. Paul, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. You can find me at Paul Script on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat, <laughs> even though I don't really use all, all the time. And then on YouTube as well. I post color guard videos, trying to do tutorials, but we'll see how that goes since I am teaching and judging a lot this fall season. But you can catch me on there. And thank you to Dan Smith and Mark Hoskins, who you can find both of them on Facebook if you would like to tap into some of their lovely knowledge and just incredible understanding of this activity in the history. Uh, thank you also to Alicia and Cindy for their segments of the show. And guys, go subscribe. Write us a review. I love reading reviews of our shows. Give us five stars. Let's rock it. Uh, share this episode with a friend. Follow us on our social media. We are at On A Water Break on all social media platforms. And we will see you at the next rehearsal on A Water Break. Go practice. Go practice. <laughs>